morning. We're going to continue on in our series on Encounter with Jesus. So I invite you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. Turn to John 3. We're going to read the first uh, 17 verses here. John 3. And it reads, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evident that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we will tell you what we know and have seen, but yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his, own, his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we have together to worship you. <clears throat> And we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit, and we are so thankful that you came to save us and not to condemn us, and yet we need to believe in you as our Lord and Savior. So Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, and we do continue to pray for the churches that are praising your name throughout the world, especially those who are being persecuted, Lord. So Lord, we thank you, we thank you for this time, and Lord, we pray that you prepare our hearts to receive your word Thank you that the Holy Spirit, you illuminate to us the scripture. So Lord, use me as you see fit. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, don't. We thank you and we bless you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So if you're a kid and you're taking notes, we did read John 3 and 1 through 17. And my name is Dallas Jackson, so at least you'll get that right. So we've been in this series of encountering Jesus, and again, I'll just mention briefly again, make sure you fill out your cards and you go online and you uh, fill out your encounters with Jesus. That's not for us, unless you share it with us. Uh, this morning, we're going to have Lauren share her encounter with Jesus. She's double-dutying today. Uh, she gave us the announcements, and then uh, she'll share her, her encounter. But please do that, and they're posted on social media, and if you don't have social media, they're, they're on the website. I'd recommend you read them. They're really encouraging, and um, thank you for the stack that's coming in. We'll read those too, as long as you gave permission. So I don't know about you, but I, I've uh, especially enjoyed this time, not because I'm 
I'm the one preaching, but I've enjoyed being intentional about looking for my encounter with Jesus. And I know I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks, but I think it's so easy to skip through life and just assume, yeah, God's there, but really intentionally paying attention to God working in my life. Um, so up to this point, we've, we've talked about several people and their encounters in the Bible that, that spoke with Jesus, and I separated them now into two groups. So uh, I called them the down and outers, and then the high ruling class that still needs Jesus. Um, so the down and outers, we started with the blind man. Society said that he wasn't very good, and don't touch him because you might be blind, or he was a sinner. The lady at the well, she was a Samaritan. The Jewish people had nothing to do with her, yet Jesus sat down with her and talked with her. The woman with the bleeding issue, again, another outcast of society. And then you flip the script, and we talked about the rich young ruler who had an encounter with Jesus but walked away and said, no thanks. And then we talked about Jairus. At the same time, we talked about the lady with the bleeding issue, another wealthy man whose daughter was dying and then eventually does die, but Jesus heals her. And then last week was Zacchaeus. Was a wee little man. Still can't get out of my head. Yeah, he was. And, uh, and he was also rich. And yet he came down to Jesus. And now we see Nicodemus. So the rich young ruler, Jairus, Zacchaeus, and Nicodemus. And really, if you're following along and if you like to be a nerdy theologian, Nicodemus is the better rich young ruler and the greater Zacchaeus. Yet Jesus is the greater of all. Meaning to say, if as rich as the rich young ruler was, and as wealthy and or influ influential as the rich young ruler, and as wealthy as Zacchaeus was, Nicodemus was all of these combined. And here we pick up into the story of Nicodemus and his encounter with Jesus. And in all fairness, he really is considered the best of all the people that we've spoken about so far. And going through my list, he's actually considered the best, I should put in quotations, of all the people that we will encounter here in the Bible. Because he was religious, and he was considered by just about everyone at that time to be someone, if you had to point to someone and say, yep, he is going to heaven, it would have been Nicodemus. He was rich. He was a leader of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is made up primarily of 27 leaders. There's 70 in total, but the upper echelons of the leaders. Uh, if in your mind you can consider it, it was both the Senate and even the House of Representatives in some way and the grand jury, all the Supreme Court, all rolled into one. And he was the leading teacher of the time. So he was the best of the best. That would have also meant that he had at least, at least a hundred little rabbis behind him, following him, learning from him. And yet the best of all people still need Jesus. And I think that's part of sometimes what people run into whenever they're considering Jesus as their savior or what to do with Jesus is a lot of times we consider or even the world considers Jesus is for the down and outers, the homeless, the less of these. And the reality is Jesus was for everyone, because just as bad as the blind man was considered to be, or the lady with the bleeding issue, or the lady at the well, they needed Jesus just as much as Nicodemus needs Jesus. And that's hopefully what we're going to consider here. 
And what's interesting about Nicodemus is he was all these things, an older man, a smart man, a wise man, a great teacher, probably the leading teacher at the time. And yet he comes to Jesus at dark because he has some questions. And really what we see in the opening line, the opening verse here, is exactly, I think, what a lot of people run into when they're battling with Jesus. And let's just read the first two verses. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. He kept the law. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he says, with great respect. We all know, we, meaning the whole Sanhedrin, we all know, at least my club knows, that God has sent you to teach us. If you underline things, you can, you can underline rabbi and teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So he comes in with total respect. At this time, in John's account in the gospel, he's already started to mention a lot of the miracles that Jesus had performed, a lot of the miraculous signs, specifically that's what John uses to describe them. He says, we all know, all of us here know that you're from God or you wouldn't be able to perform all these miraculous signs. But specifically, when I ask you to underline teach us. God has sent you to teach us. That's how he's approaching Jesus. He's approaching Jesus as a teacher. And I think that's dangerous if you approach Jesus simply as a teacher. And we'll get into that in a moment. He obviously was a great teacher. But if you look towards Jesus as he's only going to teach you something, you will fall short. Because what will happen is you will just want to learn more. You won't notice a change. So the key this morning, if you attempt to come to Jesus as a teacher, then you will only get knowledge. But if you come to him looking towards him as the Savior, it will radically change your life. So again, as we consider this, what does it mean to come to Jesus just as a teacher or come to Jesus as a Savior? And I love this illustration illustration that really helped me long ago, and I continue to use it whenever I'm teaching, is the illustration of a tree. And let's say that I have a cherry tree, and I'm growing all these cherry trees. And uh, well, let me qualify my statement. I know there's a lot of farmers out here, and if I say something incorrect, please feel free to throw things at me. But, <laughs> but let's just imagine that I do have a row of cherry tree cherry trees, and one specific cherry tree. It's my favorite cherry tree. And it's producing, but you know, after my crop comes in, and I, I'm determined that, you know what, no longer do I want to grow cherries. I'm going to grow an apple tree. So let me tell you what I'm going to do in order to grow apples from my cherry tree. You're already finding problems with my story. Start throwing things, but I'm still going to tell you. So I'm happy with the cherry tree, but I want it to grow apples because I hear that selling apples is way better than selling cherries. So what I do is I go to the library and I start studying how to grow an apple tree. So then I learn about the fertilizer, then I learn I have to test the soil, then I learn I have to buy nutrients for the soil, I learn that I have to prune at a certain time, I learn all these things. And now I'm really smart, but I'm not smart enough. So then I go to school, then I start and I get a master's degree in how to be a nerd with apple trees, okay? 
So then I, everything that I take, I come and I look at my poor, pathetic little cherry tree. So then I give it all the nutrients, everything that I studied. And I prune it at exactly the right time, which apparently is at midnight. I don't know why farmers hang out at midnight. I just think they just play around. But hey, picking on you. Just kidding. So I spend all this time, and then I have the people come and study and tell me all these things, and then I prune it just right. And then the next season comes, apples grow. Wrong. Cherries grow. And I think, but I'm smarter now. I've learned everything there is about how to take care of an apple tree, but yet, why hasn't my cherry tree turned into an apple tree? Now, as ridiculous as that sounds, you're thinking, you poor idiot. Tear out that tree and put it in the apple tree. But that's exactly what Christ does. He takes out your old heart, puts in a new heart. But what tends to happen, and I would even suggest with Christians, is we think we need to get smarter in order to get closer to Christ. Even for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ and know Him as Lord and Savior and have, can write down our encounters from the beginning to just last night or this morning, I would suggest that sometimes we just simply try to get smarter because it's easier to read a book or listen to a podcast. It's easier just to do a devotion all on our own then ask God to change your heart, to change a situation. And this is exactly what Nicodemus is facing here. He's coming in and he calls him rabbi. He says, God sent you to teach us. What he's doing is saying one of two things. One, I'm really good at this, but I can't do all the miracles you can do if only you would teach me how to do it. Or what he's saying is there's something about you that I like, there's lots of things I like about me, and like the rich young ruler, when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, I've kept all of the commandments, what else must I do? And he says, sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Essentially, Jesus is saying, give up your idolatry, give up your identity, and have an identity in me. And he says, I can't do it. So one or two things, and I think it's actually both. Nicodemus sees that Jesus can do things he can't do, but he's also pretty proud of his high position and saying, I just need more knowledge because I'm simply a cherry tree trying to become an apple tree and I need to be smarter. So he's considering this. So that's why he comes to Jesus and Jesus says his reply, I tell you the truth or verily, verily, any King James people in here, Verily, verily, I tell you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice here, Nicodemus didn't even get to his question. This is just a long introduction, and it's almost as if Jesus says, okay, let's just skip all of the niceties and let's get to business. Now, he doesn't do this, he being Jesus, doesn't do this with the woman at the well. The woman at the well doesn't think that she's anything. The blind man doesn't think he's anything. They're totally at loss. The, the lady with the bleeding issue doesn't think she's anything. So Jesus shows the compassion to show that they are something. Here he's saying, okay, I know what you're doing. You just want to be smarter, but let me tell you what you have to do. You must be born again. And Nicodemus says, huh? <laughs> what do you mean? What, what, what does this What are you trying to say? And that's what he says in verse 4. What do you mean? 
exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Seems like an obvious question. What do you mean, Jesus? And I would imagine at this point, Nicodemus is totally lost, thinking, okay, here comes the big moment, the big reveal. He's going to break it down for us. But let's consider what it means to be born again for Nicodemus at this time. See, again, remember that he's a Pharisee, so he follows all 726 rules, which includes the Ten Commandments. He is a teacher. He knows all of his stuff. And Jesus says, you must be born again. Now, if Jesus would have said, all the Gentiles, which is everybody who's not Jewish, they need to be born again, then Nicodemus would have said, ah, you're right, I understand that. To be born again means they must become Jewish. That is correct. Because the Jewish, he would have said, we Jewish are born in the right family. We are on God's side. God has promised all these good things to the Jewish people. You're right. In order for the Gentiles to be saved, they must become Jewish. They must go through all of the process to become Jewish. If you remember back in Acts when we did that series and over and over again, this was a big clash. All these Gentile people were becoming Christians and the Jewish Christians are saying, that's not fair. You have to be Jewish first, then you get to be Christian. You got to do all the hard work. And then God gives all these... Uh, illustrations, parables about how it's unfair and blah, 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 get over it, is basically what Jesus says. But you have to be born in the right family. That's in his mind. Some rabbis at the time taught this very thing, that Father Abraham was standing at the gate of hell, and any Jewish person who died, who happened to accidentally stumble their way towards hell, Abraham would grab him by the hand and bring him to heaven. Because they were heading to hell by accident, by a mistake. And Abraham would grab them and bring them back to heaven because they were born into the right family. They were the right race. They were the right religion. They were born in the right family. And that's essentially Old Testament Jewish belief right there. If you were Jewish, you were safe. You were saved. See, the Jewish people felt that they already had all of the rules they needed to follow and they were already in the right family, the only thing that they were missing was a king. So whenever they were anticipating the Messiah to be the king, they were expecting a king to come and liberate them here on earth. They were expecting a military power that would take over. So essentially, Nicodemus is coming in the middle of the night, and I think he's coming over in the middle of the night because he doesn't want everyone to know that he's hanging out with Jesus. I mean, why else would you come and sneak? Now, I'm going to be totally practical here, and if this is offensive, I'm kind of sorry. I'm not. But it's like whenever I, at the end of the service, and I say, does anyone have anything they would like to pray about? Come forward, and I'd love to pray for you. Right? I say that. I hope I do. Yes. Thank you for agreeing, all five people. So <laughs> when I say that, there's some of you who come and pray, which that's great. And I'm going to close my eyes so I don't look at any one person. Do you know how many people text me, email me within Sunday evening, Monday morning and say, here's my prayer request? Lots of you. Because you don't want anyone to know you ask prayer from me. No one cares. 
But this is exactly what Nicodemus is doing. He's so worried what everybody will think, what his little, I was going to say homies, but we're not in Long Beach, his little buddies are saying. Sometimes I go back to the hood, I apologize. His dude bros, whatever, to come, he's so afraid. And, and I've been there, I do that all the time. I'm afraid to admit things because, oh, what, if the pastor, ooh. So Nicodemus sneaks at night and he wants to know, and he wants to know either because he wants Jesus to pat him on the back partially, but he also wants to know more knowledge. So he comes in the middle of the night and says, you're a great teacher, I want more. And he says, but you must be born again. And it's just, what does this mean, born again? This, this is so confusing. I, if you would have said the Gentiles, I would have got it, but we're Jewish, Jesus. Don't you know how good we are? Don't you know how good I am? Here's my list of good deeds this week. They are longer than my list of bad deeds. And this is why Jesus has come, saying all of your deeds, they're garbage, they're rags in Romans, we're told. So let's consider birth, just birth in general, and I won't be too graphic, but what Jesus is telling Nick, Nicodemus is that we all must be made new. You're trying really hard to have a cherry tree. You need to rip out that cherry tree. Actually, you can't do it. I have to do it and put it in the apple tree. And you don't need more information. You don't need a deeper sermon. You don't need all of the Greek and the Hebrew, which is totally great. Uh, you, d- you don't need to perform miracles like I can. Um, and, I do- and I don't see how there's any, any difference now today. I mean... Even in our Christian walk, we, again, we think that we need a little bit more. We need more intellect. We need more information. We need more self-help books. That's why whenever you're perusing on the internet and it says five ways to make a million bucks fast, you're like, whoo, million bucks fast, and it leads you to uh, a rabbit holes that aren't there. The self-help books are so popular. And I looked it up. Self-help books are just as popular in Christian communities as they are in secular That's why we're so tempted to read all those secrets. And don't get me wrong, I love to read, I love to learn, I love education, I love all of it, and I love to go down rabbit holes. Uh, I often revisit from time to time. The other day, a friend of mine from where I used to work at Kia sent me this article about quantum mechanics and string theory and how physicists now say that the measurement of the sound that comes in string theory says Yahweh. And I'm like, I'm hooked. I'm all in. And if that means nothing to you, good. But it means a lot to me. Like, I love all that stuff. I love how science always points to Christ. Always. I love all that stuff. I love all the Greek and all the Hebrew. But what I've noticed about myself is I could try to build up my head so much, but it never penetrates my heart. I can get a big fat head, but a little heart. So what I wrote here is your brain can't outgrow your heart. I believe your brain is tethered to your heart, and your heart must change, and within that change, you must be made new by Jesus Christ, and then the brain can take on more information and then apply it in the right direction. That's why you all run red lights. You know you shouldn't, but there's no more cameras watching you anymore, so you just do it. Maybe I'm just talking about myself. It's a 50-50 chance about, sorry, police officers, forgive me. But it's not about a brain issue, it's, it's a heart issue. And that's what he's trying to, that's what Jesus is trying to get to Nicodemus is you have to be born again and consider uh, being born again, what does birth mean? 
Who here had any participation in their own physical birth? Like, you don't even remember it. It was all the work of your mom and the doctors and the nurses and all that fun stuff. But you as a baby, you were just born. Yeah, you may have kicked and screamed or flipped or whatever, but you didn't birth yourself. And that's what, that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. You have to be born again. And you can't earn it this time. And you can't get smart enough to do it this time. You're just going to have to do it. That's why sitting in a service like this or Bible study or listening and reading, and it won't make any difference if your heart doesn't change. And the only way your heart can change is through Jesus. So then it goes on. And Jesus now explains in verse 5. He says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. People debate about the water and the Spirit and what that means. It means the physical birth and then a spiritual birth, the, the changing of your heart. Some people, some denominations use this to say, this is why you have to get baptized. Yes, you should get baptized. Baptism is not a salvation issue. But what he's saying is, is you were born, stop trying to think about an old little man, you old little man going in your mother's womb, you have to be born again. Verse 6, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. This is pointing back to his intellect. This is a spiritual issue. And yes, you may get a glimpse of an understanding of it, but you have to surrender over to be changed. So a great question, verse 9. How are these things possible? And the reason he's asking this is he said, Jesus, I'm Jewish, and since I'm in the Sanhedrin, that means my father was probably in the Sanhedrin. Don't you know our family line? Like if there was a contest for who was the best Jewish person at the time, my family, Nicodemus would say, would take the cake. How is this possible? And Jesus replied in verse 10, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you, now stop there, the we, this is where we point to the Trinity, this is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We tell you what we know and even see, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Like he's explaining to him why Christ had come down. He's explaining to him, you've known all of this. God the Father has been teaching you this, preparing you for the Messiah. Don't you teach these things? Don't you know these things? And really what he's pointing to, if you circle back when you consider that, he's pointing back to Ezekiel 36. 25 through 28 in the Old Testament, and we'll have it on the screen here. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 28. So Nicodemus, being a good teacher, a brilliant teacher, since he was uh, a head teacher as a Pharisee and with the Sanhedrin, 
he would have known this and taught this several times, at least once a year, because once a year, the Jewish tradition is always to go through the prophets. But this is what Ezekiel 36, verse 25 says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Stop there. Going back to verse 5, you don't have to turn there, we won't go back and forth. But verse 5, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the Spirit. So you have to be made clean. And you know this is true because the Jewish tradition is you always had to come to the temple to be clean. Your filth will be washed away, continuing on in verse 25 of Ezekiel. And you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. And I will take out of your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel and the land I gave your ancestors long ago. And you will be my people and I will be your God. So at this point, Nicodemus should have said, Oh, that's what you're talking about. You mean the Messiah isn't here to be the king and beat up all these Romans? You mean you have to clean my heart? You have to not only clean it, you have to give me a new heart? John Stott says that there's still two hearts in us when we come to Christ, the old man heart and the new man heart. And depending on which heart we feed is which one comes out. Because I don't know about you, but a lot of times there's gross things that come out of me still. And I think, how did that happen? Well, the old guy's still in there working. But that's what he's saying is, I will take away your stony, stubborn heart. Does anyone still have a stony, stubborn heart? Even though you don't want to, sometimes it jumps out. Even when you're tired and hungry, and you're hangry, whatever. You're tender and responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you. So now he's explaining, this is how it's possible. But then Jesus doesn't leave him there. He continues on, and he says, and he picks up in verse 13, it says, no one has ever gone to gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man, Jesus, again, Son of Man, John always uses that reference when Jesus is talking about himself, just quickly, just to remind you. It's easy to say Son of God because people were identified, oh, I'm the Son of Zeus, and I'm the Son of Ares, and I'm the whatever. But when you say the Son of Man, because Adam, Son of Man, Jesus is the greater Adam, he's saying, I'm the Messiah, has come down from heaven. And here here it is, as simple as this. And he talks about a story that happens in Numbers 21. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Again, Jesus is so gracious to teach him from the scripture that he knew. And what you'll notice when you're reading through the Gospels, the interactions with Jesus, is Jesus speaks right to people's experience or education. The woman at the well, he talks about the living water because her whole life was surrounded by the water of the well. So he uses that illustration. Here, he talks to the intellect of Nicodemus. So first he tells him about Ezekiel, about a new heart. Get rid of that cherry tree, don't just make it look purdy. Tear it out, put a new apple tree in. And also, if you remember Numbers 21, he's basically saying, Moses lifted up the bronze snake. And just quick reference, Moses was up in the mountain receiving instruction from God. The people down the side of the mountain, the Jewish, the Israelites, were so tired of waiting and said, clearly we need to make an idol. 
because that makes sense. So they make an idol. Well, before I make fun of them, whenever God doesn't respond the way that I want, it's real easy for me to go and look for comfort other places. That's idolatry. But anyways, I never made a bronze. I never made a snake. So they make the snake, and they're all bowing down to it. And then when Moses comes down, God's upset. Moses said, I'll handle it. God said, yeah, you will. So Moses comes down, and he makes the bronze snake, and he holds it on the pole. There were snakes going through all the camp and biting people, and they were dying. And Moses said, if you look at this bronze snake, you will be healed. And so people looked at the bronze snake and they were healed. Some people were like, that's dumb. I'll just die. And they die. And that's essentially what happens. I don't want to believe in Jesus. I'd rather die. And that's what he's saying. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Just like this bronze snake was lifted up, so will the Son of Man means he'll be on the cross. But not just on the cross. Eventually in glory. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And at this time, Nicodemus is thinking in his mind, it can't be that easy. It is that easy. It is that easy. So then Jesus continues on in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, or begotten son, depending on the translation you memorize it, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He's pointing Nicodemus to his education, to what he knew, to even what he taught. And said, just like that, the Son of Man, me, I'm going to be lifted up. And all you have to do is to believe. And then the encouragement of verse 17, God sent his Son in the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. The world's already judged. So as we consider this, and we consider this new birth, Jesus was empathetic in saying that man does not need more information or a reformation of education, but a radical conversion by the Spirit of God that we must be born again. So the problem initially with Nicodemus is he was coming to Jesus as someone to teach him, to give him a little bit more. Tell me how to turn my cherry tree into an apple tree. He came to him as a teacher. See, when you come to Jesus only as a teacher, when you sin, you won't handle the sin correctly. But if you come to Jesus as a Savior, then it will transform your life. I heard this pastor tell a great story, and I'm going to just use it. He says, the contrast between trying to learn more, having a teacher, or having a Savior. He said, many years ago, he remembered... Or many years ago, he remembers a story. Somebody came up to him and said, hey, do you remember that thing I asked you to do? And the pastor was so taken back, he said, oh, yes, it'll be done tomorrow. And then the pastor walks away, and he says, immediately when I walked away, I realized I just totally lied to the guy. I couldn't even really remember his name, nor what I said I was going to do. But I was so taken back, I just said, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. And hopefully I'll remember what it was that I said I would do. He said, it happened so fast and I moved on so quickly. And I realized, he said he realized he'd lied and he just totally forgot. He just, he couldn't, rem- he couldn't believe that he lied too. And he said he didn't, he didn't want to be honest with the man, he realized. And, and he didn't want to make the man think he wasn't important. 
Moreover, he wanted the other guy to know that he was a good pastor and that like all good pastors, he remembers everyone's names and everyone's prayer request and everyone's dog's ailment and he just goes on and on and on. He wanted to remind him that he was a trustworthy person and he wasn't like the other pastors. He was a wonderful pastor who thinks and cares for everyone. However, this pastor walked away and realized he had lied. And, and as the pastor was considering this, he would go on. And he said, there's really two ways for me to handle this, is what he said. He said, one, I could treat Jesus like he's a teacher. Or I can teach him as my savior. And he explains. This is one of the things re- I realized right away was the way that I deal with people. They're, how do I respond what I should have done is what, to be honest with him, I should have said, you know what? I totally forget about it. I know this is going to upset you. I'm really sorry. I'll get on it ASAP. And he also, and I'm just, just admit it is what he goes on to say. He says, but here's the problem. Here's my problem. It's not that I'm so sinful, which I am a sin, sinner. It's just that I forget that I'm a sinner. He says, I have to grab myself and say, I have failed the great teacher. If I only look at Jesus as the teacher, then I just say, Jesus, the teacher says this, and I do that. Jesus says, do that, and I do that. He's the great overseer. The teacher says, do not lie, do not steal, and I just want to make my teacher happy, and I failed him. If I go after that, it's out of fear, and what I will do is I will bend myself towards honesty. Because I look at him as a teacher. It's just like your children. I have three of them. I have one child that wants to follow the rules. 100% to make everyone happy. I have another one that rules are optional. And to be considered. And then I have another one that is somewhere in between. And yet what this pastor is saying is for him, his sin is he's more concerned about what other people think. Where other people would just say, eh, whatever, I don't care, that's a whole nother sin. But yet, as, as he's considering this, as his teacher continues to say, I mean, I was just writing this down because I was like, oh, this, I, I identify with this so much. But if I look at the teacher, at Jesus as the teacher, what I will do is I will bend myself out of force to do the right thing. That's not a change of heart. That's simply following the rules. And for those of you who, who aren't in that way, aren't bent that way, for those of you who are more like, I need the respect and, and I expect it and I would have told that man I'll get to it later, that's still another thing. Then you'll have to bend yourself to be kind. See, if we only look at Jesus as a teacher, then we're only trying to get a grade from the teacher. And this pastor goes on and he says, I didn't just sin on the surface when I lied to this man. I lied because underneath the surface, I was treating something else as my Lord and Savior. I was not rejoicing in Jesus and his love for me. I was putting something above Jesus. I had an idol and that idol was approval of man. That's why I couldn't tell him I forgot. The thing that I wanted most of all over Jesus was to have people think highly of me as a man and a pastor. 
My hope and my meaning of life was the approval of other people. Now you can apply that. My hope and the my hope and meaning of life was to be in command. My hope and meaning to life was to make a lot of money. My hope, you can fill in the blank wherever you are bent. He says, but Jesus came into the world because, not because he thought I was so great, but, or because of my performance, because he loved me. So if we operate out of Jesus only being a teacher, teacher, teach me more, then all we'll do is bend towards honesty. But if we dig deeper and under the sin of the sin, we have to ask ourselves, who truly is our Savior? What truly do we want to feed? If Jesus is our Savior, then it melts our hearts into honesty. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. You don't need more. You don't need more knowledge. You just need me. You don't need the approval of man, you just need me. You don't need to commit all these great miracles, you just need me. So when he asks, when Nicodemus asks, he wants to make sure, don't come to me as a teacher, come to me as a savior. The issue with only looking at Jesus as a teacher is you, when you fell the rules, you fell. But when you look at the savior, you fell, yet he lifts you up. And that's why when Jesus again points back to the Old Testament in Numbers 21 and tells that story about lifting up, he's, he's, he's responding saying, I'm the one who's doing all the heavy lifting. Just like you had nothing to do with your original earthly birth, you have nothing to do with your birth in Christ. Receive it. So what happens to Nicodemus? There's some argument about what, what takes place, but just he's mentioned two other times in the Bible, if you turn to John 7, it'll be on the screen. Uh, this is later on when they're trying to arrest Jesus and, and uh, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees are all upset and they send out some guards to go arrest him. And we'll pick up at verse 45, John 7, it says, when the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? And they respond, we have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. Verse 47, have you been led astray to the Pharisees mock? Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believe in him? The foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. But notice this. Notice this. In verse 48, excuse me. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believe in him? Nicodemus. So the tradition holds that Nicodemus, that he broke off quietly but stayed with the Sanhedrin. That he followed Jesus but didn't want anyone to know. And there's even a sect today in the Jewish community called Nicodites who follow all of the Jewish traditions but deep down inside believe in Christ. They're still stuck on that teacher mentality, not the savior mentality. So that's why whenever the Pharisees curse these guards for not doing it, is there 
any, this foolish crowd, is anyone going to follow? And Nicodemus doesn't say, yes, I do, but he points out the law. Well, we can't convict them before having a hearing, and they actually don't. One other time, one other time with Jesus, the next one. Uh, John something. John 9. Verse 38 says, afterwards, this is after Jesus' burial, afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, a secret disciple of Jesus, because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfume ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following the Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. They placed, the place of the crucifixion was near the garden where they were the new tomb never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover and since the tomb was closed at hand, they laid Jesus there. Nicodemus came with 75 pounds which is the equivalent of $100,000 of spices. Now, a couple of things just to note. Men never handled the dead body. That was either women's work, so they said, or slaves' work. Because if you remember, if you remember, men, well, all Jewish people, but specifically men, if they touched a dead body, they had to go through a purification and couldn't come to the temple for seven days. So that means Nicodemus missed a day at the temple, which would have been noticed because he would have been the teacher. And he also brought all of the ointment, myrrh, and aloes to, perf- to perform the Jewish burial custom. Uh, the extra-biblical context says that Nicodemus would continue on in this matter, teaching people silently, quietly, Nicodites about Jesus. And they followed. Eventually, he was found out, and he was either martyred or or uh, cast out to be left alone. So did Nicodemus finally believe? I think so, but I'm more inclined to hope that everybody believes so in Jesus Christ. But I don't know. I can't tell you when I get to heaven. I'll see if he's there. But I hope so. And there's one picture I just want to show you. And this picture here just kind of shows, this is a picture um, that uh, of Nicodemus and Joseph of Aramaeth, and it's from a Jewish painter that I can't pronounce his name, Menelithai, he, he produced this photo, and, and it's, it's the hope of Christ is what he calls it. And then just as we consider Jesus this morning, if you're here this morning and you're considering, yeah, he was a good teacher, yes, he was a great teacher, Jesus is a great teacher, but he, he came more for that. He came to save you. And I do wonder if there's anyone in here that is trying to make changes in your life without having a new heart. We'll consider that. But before we do that, I would like to invite Lauren back up so she can share her encounter with Jesus. We should clap. All right. Um, So... This is kind of twofold unintentionally. Part A is that I have been thinking about this encounter for like since we started this series and just sort of like, oh, that was really nice, but I don't know if I'm going to say anything about it. 
And then last week, I was talking to Erica, and she just gently let me know that they really needed people to share their encounters with Jesus, and I should definitely let Dallas know that I had something to share. So with that prompting, in addition to thinking about this for a long time, the encounter was at the beginning of this year um, at my work, um, and I work in a very difficult place. I work at an inpatient psychiatric hospital. And um, so there's a lot of stuff going on all the time. I've never seen as much spiritual warfare in one place before on a pretty daily basis. And so earlier this year, there was a young man there who I had probably seen three times since the time I started working at this facility. Um, Very tormented young man who was probably at his lowest point I had ever seen him in the three times he had been to our facility. And this involved um, consulting what he called the spirits inside of him, talking to his hands, asking for guidance on different things, identifying at least three different identities within himself. And the first day that I met with him, there was just... I mean, not something, it was the spirit for sure prompting me, like, you need to call this out. You need to remind this young man that he is one whole person, that he is not divided, that he was created as one whole person. And so that was really the first encounter we had, which was challenging for this young man. Um, And I could see that it was challenging, but the first day was okay. And we had a pretty good rapport. He came to groups. The second day, however, he seemed a little bit more agitated. And as I was trying to get him to come into one of my groups, he stopped right at the door. And the group room was pretty full of other people. But he stopped right at the door, and he looked at his hands, and he said, should I do it? And he looked at the other one, and he said, I should do it? Okay. And I thought he was asking, like, should he go into the group room and attend my group? Well, he wasn't. He... Um, was under the impression that I was plotting to kill him. And in that moment, put his hand around my neck and put me up against the door of the group room. Fortunately, staff was there. We called. Everything was okay, kind of. Um, He, again, he was very tormented. And with the help of staff, he was able to receive the help that he needed. But in that moment, not really sure what to do because there was this group room full of other patients who still needed help. And there was this young man who was so tormented. I went into the group room, and in that moment, before I could say anything, two of the patients in there had started leading the entire group in prayer without any prompting, without any question, without any conversation. There were two people who were still going through their own struggles and their own illness and their own torments who had just started the prayer. And I think one of them even shushed another patient at one point who started asking if he could leave group because he didn't really want to be in group. They shushed him and said, we're praying. You have to wait. And for the first probably five minutes of group that day, it was just these patients leading each other in prayer that had nothing to do with me. And in that moment, it was just this reminder that regardless of the role we think we play, as a leader, as somebody who's there to comfort or provide help and guidance, God is using anybody he wants to use 
to provide that comfort and peace when we may not realize it, we need it the most. So that was my encounter with Jesus. I knew what she was going to say, but man. So I do wonder if there's anyone in here trying to make changes to their life without having a new heart. If you're trying to take your cherry tree and turn it into an apple tree by more knowledge. And you've done all these things to help yourself, but still are on a journey and you haven't come to Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I know I say this about every week during the series, but if what is holding you back to coming to Christ as your Savior is because of your experiences with the other church or with a pastor or with a family or with anybody else, then be, be like Nicodemus and come right to the source of Jesus. Come right to him. Bypass all of the noise. And if anyone has accepted Jesus but yet still are struggling in any way, I would love to pray with you. And I am happy to pray with you now or later this week. But the point is, just come to Jesus. Don't come to him as a teacher, but come to him as a savior. It will radically change the reason why you follow him. He changes everything. So that way when you look back on the sin that you committed for you who are believers in Christ, you will say, I remember what I did, but I barely remember why I did it. I remember being fearful, but I hardly remember why I was fearful. I remember being awful to people, but I hardly remember why I was awful. I remember whatever, but I don't remember why. And the reason you don't remember why is because Christ has given you a new heart, not to forget everything, but to remember that you are loved regardless of what you've done. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for not just coming and being our teacher, but being our Savior. Forgive us when we get wrapped up in the teacher mentality of you. It's not that you don't want us to follow you. You do, but... You don't want us just to follow you just because that's the way we, we, we're bent or that's the way we should be, but because we have changed, Lord. Though it's a silly illustration with the cherry tree and apple tree, Lord, help us not try to do things on our own, not to make things better or right, but let you do that. Put our trust in you. I do pray for anyone who's struggling in any way. I pray especially for those who have not given their life over to you, Lord. Pray for those who may be like Nicodemus who are waiting until night, but thankful that Nicodemus did come at night. So Lord, as we continue to worship you in a few more songs, Lord, as we worship you through your word, will you speak to us? Will you um, remind us that you love us because of you and not because of us? What a great gift that is. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>